0: Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement. People who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Chris Gilmore. Chris is the founder, lead consultant, and trainer trainer at Changing World, a business helping both individuals and organizations adapt and thrive in our changing world and climate. They focus on a holistic approach to emergency preparedness planning, sustainable and resilient design and training in team capacity building, emergency preparedness planning and response, as well as holistic regenerative design to adapt to a changing world. He also teaches individuals about wildlife tracking, ecology and deepening their knowledge of and connection to nature through his course nature's forgotten language and other offerings chris brings a very diverse skill set and life experience to all his courses consulting and training and with these words i'm super excited for our conversation about regenerative design hi chris
1: hey julian super pumped to be here yes
0: where to begin you know i'm i'm often pulled to to ask this question right off the bat like what do you reckon is most required in this world uh, of today, we're in like July, August now, even August of 2020, what do, what do people want to take into account facing this world these days?
1: Awesome. I, I mean, that question is the foundation of why I created Changing World to begin with. So uh, I love just diving right in there. So <laughs> glad you're being so forthcoming there. Um, I guess there's three things that really stand out and, you know, I could mention many, many more on that. Cause it's such a big uh, question we could approach from a lot of different angles, but right off the bat, what kind of comes to mind for me, Uh, one of them is the idea of relearning our ancient way of connecting with the natural world. And when I say relearning our ancient Mm -hmm. way, I don't necessarily mean like going back in time to live like our ancestors lived. But I mean, understanding, you know, the intricacies of the web of life and how nature works. And I really do feel like that's become a a bit of a lost art, you know, Um, and many people can spend their whole lives, myself, you know, included up into my early 20s, spending a lot of time outdoors and not actually recognizing 99.9% of what's actually happening around them in the natural world. And if we're not able to read that story of nature and interact with it, like most peoples around the world once did, you know, how do we really uh, create an ecologically sustainable, resilient, regenerative uh, world? So I think right off the bat, you know, number one for me is going to be relearning that those ancient ways of connecting with the land and understanding the language of the land. And, you know, being able to track the consequences of our actions um, and to be informed by uh, the land itself. You know, there's so many brilliant designs already in nature that can inform human design in our modern context. So that's going to be number one for me. Um, number two, I actually already kind of touched on there, but it's actually the idea of now that we've looked at these models in nature uh, and we know how to interact, which actually helps us, uh, helps us on a holistic um, standpoint as well. Um, but is regenerative design. So how do we now look at these already really resilient models, really sustainable models, really regenerating models, and apply them to the design of our lives, to our businesses, to our communities, to our governance, to our uh, economies. Uh, So those pieces. And then I think the other third one here that is something I've been thinking a lot about, um, and you know, I don't know if I would have said this, if you'd asked me this a year ago, but really watching how this global pandemic COVID-19 Uh, the rise of the, you know, um, what happened with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, Um, just all of the stuff happening around the world right now is, you know, a lot of people talk and want change. But I realize very few people put time, we put a lot of time into changing things. And I think very few people actually prepare themselves physically and mentally for what it actually looks like to live in that place of change and in that new reality. And when we don't do that, uh, there's two things that I can I see happen. One of them is when a disaster happens, something like COVID-19, um, that's our covid 13 COVID-19 that's really throwing off you know our, our norms around the world. People are really caught off guard and they find themselves scrambling and we're not necessarily making smart, long-term regenerative decisions because we're literally thinking about uh, our basic survival needs in it. You know, mm-hmm. there's that fear strikes in when we're not prepared for what's around the next corner. And then the second part of that just as important is if we're not prepared for the new norm and we want a new norm then when opportunities strike that we can actually make shift towards something that we hope is better we might not actually be able to seize those opportunities if we haven't actually prepared our bodies our minds our lifestyles for something different you know and i see a lot of people within kind of the the activist circle that are that are fighting for change and i I pose that question how much time have you put uh cultivating your mind uh your emotions your skill sets your relationships to actually be able to live in that change. And I think that's really going to help us bring, bring things forward in a good way.
0: Beautiful. Wow. You're, you're setting us up for a really deep conversation there. I love what you're saying about, you know, we cannot really connect with life in a regenerative way of building, seeing and mimicking nature if we're constantly held in struggle and survival.
1: Yeah, there's this interesting phenomenon. I've been having actually some fascinating conversations with this guy named Bob Stilger. He runs an organization called New Stories. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him before, Um, but I've kind of connected him through the work that I do in emergency and disaster preparedness. Um, So I'm I'm a nature guy, an ecology guy, but over the last kind of six, seven years, I've taken a real interest in emergency and disaster preparedness uh, because of the consequences of uh, potentially poor decisions that humans have made in the the past and some of the, the problems that we have today. Um, so anyways, I connected with uh, Bob Stilger and he brought in this really interesting concept that he, um, he was talking about called regenerative responders. You know, and in our modern world and in modern emergency management, we have emergency responders. So, you know, somebody gets hit by a car, the, uh, the paramedics come in, you know, uh, an earthquake happens. You have the emergency responders that are helping get infrastructure back up online and things. And what he said is we need to create regenerative responders. And these are people that recognize that, you know, some of these systems are so strong and so integrated into our lives, it's really, really hard to change them. Um, And some of them people have been fighting to change for a long time and they're just not changing. But then disasters will come along and they'll actually knock these systems down. And there's this brief moment where we have an opportunity to build back something better than was there before. But on a psychological level, it's very instinctive when people are put into a place of fear to want to actually cling on to the old normal even if the old normal wasn't serving them. Um, so you know in my approach with changing world looking at emergency and disaster preparedness I've really been trying to like kind of bridge the world of permaculture and regenerative design with the concept of preparing for climate change and designing something that's better for humans uh, to begin with. Um, so yeah if we're, not, if we're not thinking ahead a little bit though and preparing ourselves for that new reality when, when disaster strikes and, and tears something down that maybe wasn't serving us to begin with, we're probably very likely to just build it back again versus actually waiting for that opportunity to say, okay, this has gone down. Yes, this is a challenging time. And you know, COVID-19 is the perfect example. And I heard you reference this, I forget which podcast, uh, but I was listening to one the other day and I heard you actually reference, you know, do we really wanna go back to the old normal? Uh, and I, I'm witnessing this amongst, uh, amongst a lot of my friends right now really trying to cling on And they just want things to go back to normal because they're so frustrated with how things are right now. There's a level
0: of perceived safety in the the old normal, right? There's a level of
1: perceived safety, yeah. Even though we know
0: that it's actually not creating any safety for who we are as a species in interaction with the planet.
1: Yeah, and what's really ironic for me is, you know, some of the same people that have been very vocal about wanting change are the same ones that just can't wait for things to get back to normal right now. And I'm not saying this as a criticism, I'm more posing this as a question around regenerative design.
0: Yeah, I think regenerative design really starts where we, you know, live from inquiry and track life events, life, like systems of life, systems of our society with the process of inquiry, realizing that things and systems are always evolving and always changing and, you know, challenging, um, challenging questions are actually a very big part of a constructive, critical uh, approach to, you know, a a creatively constructive approach to life, I, I believe. So let's let's learn a little bit more from your like really deep background of understanding there around like preparedness and you know like how that emergency preparedness planning um, maybe maybe take the example of covid if you want to like how how we kind of failed there in some ways and what we're instantly seeing and what's possible for people to learn on. Yeah so the question is
1: what what do you think is some of the learnings coming out of COVID right now. Can you just restate the yeah. question?
0: Yeah, no, totally. That yeah, thanks. That was like a three questions in one kind of uh, <laughs> shoebox there. Um, yeah. What are some of the learnings that you're seeing from an emergency preparedness perspective? Because you know, it looks to me that depending on which country you live in, overall humanity is dealing with a scenario, let's say, um, you know, okay, but not excellent. And then some specific countries, if it's the U.S. or Brazil, they're, they're obviously dealing way worse with this. And so, what can we learn on a large collective here? What you know what, what's come what's come up but that can actually help us build regenerative systems
1: awesome well one piece that comes to mind right away is you know the power of bioregionalism and and local sustainability um, and simultaneously the ability to use these amazing tools to learn on a global level and uh, inform each other on a global level but during the initial wave of kind of the lockdowns here where i was living um i'm over in uh, a region called muskoka in ontario uh, it, was, it was really funny because a lot of the major brands of, you know, hand sanitizer and, you know, cleaning supplies and certain food supplies, uh, everything was off the shelves. And there was this kind of two, three weeks where everyone was panicking. And ironically, uh, what saved our community and a lot of people were actually the small producers because people were running to the, you know, Walmart and running to the the big box stores to try and buy all these supplies and stock up. And, you know, one of the lessons we could say right there is uh, recognizing When we're not thinking ahead when we're not practicing preparedness we end up scrambling in that that moment before situation so there's a lesson in and of itself Uh, what can we do to learn from how we as individuals reacted during that initial wave of fear and and kind of panic Um, and what were the things that we did how could we set ourselves up so if that was to happen again whether it's from COVID-19 or whether it's from a climate emergency whether it's from an economic situation whatever it is how do we set ourselves up so we're not making those same mistakes so that would be one piece right there, just from a kind of thinking ahead perspective. Um, but jumping back to that other point, there, it's just it's really highlighted for me the power of local economy um, and local production, and making those things as strong and as resilient as possible. Because in our local community, you know, suddenly the local distilleries that were making craft uh, bitters and craft alcohol, they were the ones that were starting to make hand sanitizer, and they were able to actually do that and distribute it to the hospitals, you know local sewing companies started making masks for our first responders. And, you know, we put so much effort in our business design around, you know, creating maybe opposite of permaculture, creating like a monoculture crop um, that's going to make us, that's going to be kind of our cash cow for our business versus a more holistic business design model where we're saying, okay, what are the different needs of our community that different businesses within our community can actually fulfill? And how do we link them together so they're, they're flowing cyclically between each other? Uh, And I saw some beautiful work happening in our local community around that. I mean, our farmers here are the busiest that they've ever been. Uh, Uh, And when we couldn't get food from at the grocery stores, our local farmers were were pumping stuff out in the greenhouses and and helping people out. So uh, I think that's an amazing opportunity for design and a major lesson coming out of there.
0: It's so interesting to me that a lot of the answers, you know, are in like very healthy, thriving local communities that then, interconnect again into a, you know, could call it global infrastructure. I I much prefer the word planetary um, because global is what we already built. And Hmm. some of that is simply, you know, meant to implode and fall apart. But it's so interesting to watch that those local communities that are actually in touch with each other, that are actually built around, you know, coming into unity and helping each other out. Those are the ones that are best prepared for for any kind of disaster, you know, any kind of uh, change
1: really. Yeah, and I mean, we can see that mimicked in our local ecosystems, right? The way that everything feeds into each other.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's literally what I I think you were referring to earlier when you said even someone like you or or myself included, when we used to walk the forest, but we're only seeing 1% of the magic that's happening in the forest because really the forest has this ink or the wildlife around us has this incredible interconnectedness that goes way vastly beyond our Um, kind of regular attention
1: yeah and you know what something else I'm gonna kind of jump back to a statement you made earlier but you were talking about um, kind of tracking things and tracking the story and then you also were talking about you know just how important kind of inquiry inquiry-based learning and questioning was and I feel like tracking you know maybe I I should define what that, that comment means to me in a second here but learning to track which is reading the story of nature those skill sets are relevant to almost any situation. So I think nature also really teaches us to have a good inquisitive mind, to ask really good questions, to be objective in the way that we look at our questions. uh, And then we look at the data that are being put uh, in front of us. And also gives us a bit of a holistic framework to deal with some of the intensity that life can throw at us. So I think learning to actually, relearning to track and read that story of nature actually provides some really, really useful skill sets and foundational skill sets in both problem solving um as well as design as well as uh developing the mental capacity to deal with challenge and adversity uh as we as we face it in life whether it's through climate change through viruses through through something else Hmm.
0: what do you think you know impacts people's ability to trust in those kind kind of times of change and emergency And, and let's explore this topic of trust because i think you know we're right now really challenged to move at a speed of trust People are more scared than ever maybe and more you know, looking for this safety. And so um, what are factors that inform trust and trust building in, in your perspective?
1: Yeah, beautiful question. Um, yeah, so two that come to mind for me, one is the power of relationships. Uh, and when our relationships aren't really, really strong, uh, we don't feel like we, someone has our back or that we're able to go through things in community. Uh, it's a lot scarier of a situation to be in Um, So I think, you know, in our our very fast paced modern world, it's really easy to not tend our relationships as well as we uh, know maybe that we should be. So I think building relationships is huge to building trust. uh, And the more trust we have in our relationships, uh, even in a scary situation where we don't know what's around the next corner, uh, there is uh, some courage that comes out of that and having that trust, right? So that's a big one for me. The other one with trust is is being uncomfortable with the unknown and your ability to perform uh, within the unknown. And again, I love, you know, the skill sets that uh, we learn when we're in the outdoors, because so much when we're we're outdoors, whether we're out on a canoe trip or a hiking expedition, uh, you know, if you practice things like survival skills, you don't actually know what's along around the next corner. And at the end of the day, you know, most of the time you're in this beautiful, pristine environment, but there's also this level of risk there that's very, very real, you know, Um, whether it's you get hurt, whether it's a wild animal, whether it's sickness and the safety nets of our modern world aren't there with us. So it's pretty neat to be in nature and in mm, one way be immersed in this beautiful experience that's just so powerful and feeding us. And at the same time, like it's, it's almost like that, that beauty and that connection that allows us to like, be like, okay, well, I'm gonna accept some level of not knowing what's around the next corner. I'm gonna accept some level of risk. And the more we kind of develop those skills and capacity, I think the more we can actually begin to trust ourselves to be okay with not knowing what's around the next corner and trust that, you know, that is actually very natural and to trust that we have the the, uh, mental and physical abilities to adapt and do what we need to do. So if you can combine, you know, that being comfortable in that place with also having good relationships, both with community, but also relationships with the land too, you know, and, you know, as someone that teaches emergency preparedness, I'm head deep in the idea of kind of disasters and chaos in my work. Uh, And people often will ask, you know, oh, doesn't that keep you up at night? Like, how do you like sleep after like you know, you did this big training exercise and you run a group through a big mock earthquake exercise, you know, and yeah. aren't you like, don't you go to sleep terrified? But I have built a relationship with the land in a, in a substance kind of way where I know that the land provides water and the land provides food mm-hmm. and the land provides shelter. And I've developed my skill set um, enough that I trust it. And I've developed my relationship with the land that I have trust that the land can actually take care of me. Um, and then I guess I'll throw in a third piece there is that it also puts a piece of responsibility on me to want to tend that land and to take care of that land and to tend those relationships and to tend those skills. Um, and that's what actually allows me to trust and actually stay optimistic in a world that's, that feels very uncertain right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, you're getting and building a relationship with your fear, with the discomfort itself. Which it feels to me that as a Western society, you know, like, especially the like very Americanized globalized society that you find in, you know, almost every country on earth now as, you know, a a form of of desired culture, at least. um, That's just, you know, really trimmed us all towards more and more feeling convenient, feeling comfortable, Mm -hmm. having the comfort. And I think some of that comfort is really beautiful and healthy and has prolonged our lifespan. But then on the other side of that comfort is actually a, a threat to our life, to our ecosystems, to our biodiversity, to, you know, living healthily um, for the 80 to 120 years that we're, we're in this body, right? Because it, it makes people, you know, not to go too far here, but like uh, in the extreme cases, it gets people all the way to obesity, right? And so I think being in touch with our fear, being in touch with our discomfort, is a very important topic. I can see how the metaphor of going out into the, the wild would, would totally do that for us. But if we look at any problem we have in our society right now, as long as we just focus on the surface, we, we never truly get to holistic solutions. And so what I've learned in these, these 220 plus interviews so far is that, you know, anyone who's really at the pulse of their own essence, the pulse of their own uh, purpose, actually regularly faces their own discomfort and has learned a way to be okay with that and deal with that.
1: Yeah beautifully said you know and as you say that I also want to just kind of point out on on one level you know and obviously this is very relative to where you live in the world and maybe even your kind of social economic uh, uh, situation but for a lot of us here in the western world uh, you know life has gotten relatively comfortable as far as our, our basic needs anyways you know shelter food Uh, water, those kinds of things. And I say that completely acknowledging that even here in the, you know, Canada, the United States, there's many people that don't have those things. Um, But as we, for a lot of us, life becomes a lot more comfortable, we also glorify and fear in our movies, we glorify it in our TV shows, in our in our popular culture, right? Whereas I think if we were to take away popular media, and you spend more time out in the land, you're actually facing fear every single day as a part of your normal life. And there's a much more healthier relationship to it. So I guess the point I'm just bringing in there is, you know, as we've made things more comfortable, less need for self-reliance, we've also glorified fear in in pop culture, uh, and those two things are, are a combination that have really impacted our psyche and uh, and how we respond under stress and in these these changing times.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. Let let, let that sink in. <laughs> I, I I like to. I like to go to all these topics because they're so real for every single one of us right now. I think before, you know, one of the, the, the beautiful side effects of this COVID experience, this pandemic, um, and always in keeping in mind, acknowledging all the pain and the suffering and the people that have lost family members. Um, but the, one of the positive side effects that we're seeing is that everyone is really faced with what is truly essential with this question, what, what world do we truly live in? How safe are we really in our countries, right? And so the, you said this like uh, right at the beginning of this episode, this allows us to see an opportunity to how do we actually build community? How do we actually come together? And so um, please feel free to share anything else that you're inspired to, Chris. Um, but, but otherwise I, I, I wanna ask this like really broad and general question that we've kind of dovetailing around here. And that is, what do you think it really takes for humanity as a species to learn from our past mistakes and take mistakes as a fuel to learning? Mm. Uh,
1: yeah, can, can I jump back? Cause you did throw in a, an invitation there just to comment yeah, before yeah, we course. went into that question. So, so ask me that again in a moment, but I wanna actually add a fourth point to that list that I originally gave you. So the idea of relearning these ancient ways of, and connecting with the land, uh, learning its story. Uh, we chatted about regenerative design Uh, And we also chatted about the need to actually prepare ourselves mentally and physically for the change that we actually wanted. But I'm going to throw one other fourth one in there that I think is absolutely huge. And it's cultivating this practice of gratitude as an actual survival skill. Um, And I want to say in this adversity, you know, uh, something that you'll find if you spend a lot of time out in nature, you know, I worked as a wilderness guide for 15 years. I had some of the hardest days of my life out on the trail. You know, when you've worked, it's eight, nine days into a trip. You're getting destroyed by bugs. You're hauling across portages. Uh, maybe people aren't getting along in the trip uh, and you've had the most roughest day in the world and you know you just want to quit you've d- you've had enough and then all of a sudden you're sitting out on the rock and you're watching the most beautiful sunset you could imagine and there's a loon singing and there's a beaver swimming across the lake. And to go from this like extreme challenge pushing yourself into this moment of extreme beauty and feel so grateful for that uh, those two contrasts do such a beautiful dance for the human spirit and what we're capable of doing. Uh, So just coming back to lessons of nature, I want to say that like in COVID-19, I was doing a lot of consulting with uh, organizations that were really struggling to adapt. And I started every single um, meeting that we had when I was working with these groups by starting with gratitude and bringing people into this place of, hey, you know, you're scared right now. Your life's being shook up. You don't know what's around the next corner. What are you grateful for right now? And I found in this, the context of COVID-19 and people being really shook up, people were able to really, even people that might've been really resistant to that question and been like, you know, what kind of hippy dippy nonsense is this? Were really actually open to it and incredibly thankful to reflect on all of the blessings that they had in their life while they were feeling scared. Uh, and in, so I also teach wilderness survival and I actually teach gratitude as an actual survival skill, uh, as something that, that gets us through hard times. Uh, and it's, in like any skill, it's something that we want to practice in the good times. So it's available to us in the hard times. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to kind of throw that in as another absolutely, one that just kind yeah. of
0: came up. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm glad you did. Um, so see, however you see fit that this question still applies, but you know, what does it take, what would it take for us as humanity to learn from past mistakes? And maybe in general, we already do in some ways, but more succinctly in a way that we can make this a, a conversation that um, is almost like a logical conversation to have, you know?
1: Yeah, that, that's a really tough question, you know, and I've had so many conversations and I feel like there's like, I, I, I can answer it from two different places, the, the like idealist in me, and then like the realist in me, you know?
0: Start with the um, realist. Let's start with the realist. <laughs> like, let's take this question apart. Like what's, what is not actually grounded about this question and, and like where would the realist take it? And then from there we can lift up and breathe.
1: Uh, I mean, the realist takes it to the place of like actually feeling extreme pain and like there's no other choice but making change. Um, and I say that just because that seems to be like what I've witnessed over and over. And in my study of emergency and disaster management, you know, it's amazing how like, uh, let's say a state or a, a city can get leveled with a hurricane, you know, and everyone's life is like turned upside down. Um, but it only lasts kind of a couple of weeks and then, you know, the economy kind of starts trickling back in and then things kind of get going and then everyone gets busy and it just goes. And even though it was really devastating in the moment, you know, it didn't take us to that brink of like, there's no other choice for me, uh, but to, to make change. Um, and I feel like we just witnessed that over and over again, you know, that humans, it's, it's, it's kind of the same as like even being in college and like, I know I've got this exam that I have to do good on and or this assignment that I have to get in, but like, I don't actually really, really commit myself till the night before or a couple days before to start working on it, you know? And I don't know what it is about human psychology that often leaves us in that place but it sure seems to play out over and over again. You know, one of my mentors um, years back said to me that you know real consequences create real results, and you know I feel like you know climate change might actually be and that the major shifts we're seeing in environmental degradation, uh, the shifts that we're seeing in kind of social upheaval and political upheaval right now. Um, it might just be that kind of adversity and, and potential struggle that pushes us to the place where we actually have no other choice but to, to finally take the risk and, and make that change. Um, and part of a big part of what my work and passion in is actually mentoring people in these deep nature connection skills as well as preparedness and risk management now so that you know, if we do get point to that brink, it has the potential to be really painful for a while Um, So helping people develop the skills to actually function in that uncomfortable, painful place where you don't know what's around the next corner. And I think if we get to the place where we can be comfortable with the unknown, we can even be comfortable with a degree of pain, we have some skill sets to actually let us continue to get by and provide for our family. And we're able to look for to nature for models, then we're actually able to seize that opportunity to do something different. So that's, that's the realist in me.
0: Hmm. Well, my, that's, that's fascinating. My realist would, would come back and, and look at what you just said and, and say, well, that time is now, don't you think, Chris? Like, we're, we're in that time already where it is like, you know, five, five minutes before midnight. And, uh, you know, so metaphorically speaking, I think it's very obvious that a lot of the, you know, I would say effects of our global pollution, I prefer this over the word climate change, The effects of our global pollution that we've done into the air, the waterways, and the um, soil—they're very visible. And depending on where you live, you might still be privileged, but they're very visible in many, many places on the world. So we already are experiencing some um, catastrophic—you know—kind of clashes and cataclysms that that you know should awaken us. And I mean, I I agree with you that it kind of seems to be what this stage of our evolution, our preparedness needs us to have this like oh the test is tomorrow morning i better get this to start studying now you know Um, and maybe people can relate to that from from days in the in school or university but that's kind of the attitude with which we're looking at at our global pollution cycle don't you think
1: yeah hundred percent you know and and two things that kind of jump out for me just in what you you said there because i agree with everything that, that you're sharing there um and and one thing i guess i'll just say First, I just want to acknowledge, you said uh, global pollution, uh, you like that term better than climate change. I-, I love that. You know, climate change is such a charged topic. Um, charged, and a lot of people yeah. have very specific views of what climate change means. And often when I use the word, people actually think I mean something that I don't. So I, I like exactly. that you said that differently. You know, you can very easily make a, an argument. Well, the, the climate's always been changing since the beginning of time. You know, and in order so- to go
0: around that argument, if you point at global pollution, this is an actual problem that we have to face. And so, like, mm-hmm. maybe for some climate change uh, deniers or people that are, don't think it's as as dire as, as it is, or, you, you know, they're like, well, it makes sense to invest in the coal and fossil fuels. And so when we look at it from a global pollution perspective, it just definitely does not make any sense. Yeah. It, it's just outdated technology.
1: Yeah, so anyway, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that Julie really. and I like the way that you're, you're framing that. And that's actually probably more online with what I actually believe and what I, what I would like to say. So I learned a new word for you. That's great. Or from you. Um, the other one that I'll, I'll throw in there on that same topic is, you know, you're saying isn't the time now? And I think the problem is, you know, that our modern infrastructure, has disconnected us so much from the land, and I, I say us in this very broad way. You know, I don't want to pinpoint any one person. Everyone's got a different story and different relationship to this. Um, but you know, on a, on a, on a global level, we're, we're very disconnected from this ancient storyline that I would say, this language that nature speaks. Um, and um, just trying to think how I want to want to pull this together.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you're speaking about our global uh, our global perspective and.
1: Yeah, and the time being now, um, you know, it's, it's basically what I'm trying to say is our disconnection from our those basic core things we need to live. So shelter, water, fire, food from a like real substance way and relying and the kind of knowledge of our place that we would have to have to be able to provide those things for ourselves, I think has designed a world that really buffers us from some of the impacts of our actions. So as much as, you know, people that I feel like people like myself anyways, and a lot of the people that I hang out with that are very vocal and active and, and have been fighting for change for a long time, you know, they're, they're the kinds of folks that get out on the land and they're, they're seeing things with their own eyes that make them say, oh, wow, this is real. This is now, this isn't just theoretical. Um, and I, and I really do think, you know, up until, and maybe COVID is the changing point. I, I believe the time is now. Uh, I think COVID's shoken people up quite a bit. But I feel like even with it being all over the news, you know, you could be living in a city in an apartment building and you could be reading about climate change and seeing all this stuff. But if you live in a city where every single day your power is still there, your water still runs, your food's still there, well, then you're not actually feeling that fear yet, that feeling that emotion yet. You know, and some people do, even in that urban area. I'm not not saying that you couldn't, but I I think that's very common um, that people, because of this disconnect, they're actually not feeling how dire things actually are. Uh, I'm just kind of reflecting back to your thought that the time is now. So the time is now. Um, and what I'm saying is what might just push us over the edge to real change is people really starting to feel it. And maybe COVID is what's doing it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one of the trigger points, that's for sure. So let us in into your dreamer uh, dreamer mind. So we said this is the more grounded, the more critical perspective, the realist opinion around you know um how we learn from past mistakes and how we're we're turning the visible learnings about our systems our way of interacting etc into into new practical steps forward so what's the dreamer in you seeing and, and and believing in
1: it's all the amazing people uh that are that are seeing this that felt a long time ago that the time was now uh and that are doing really amazing things to shift that change and i think it's unveiling kind of that secret question you know this is a question I've, I've thought about so long and i have so many good conversations and i don't have an answer for you on it but it's like when i look at uh, i listen to a, a podcast of yours actually on my drive uh, here today and it was from a, a lady donna morton um on the the nature state fascinating yes. podcast but i think about like the essence of the work that she's doing you know bringing together these global innovators from around the world uh trying to be catalysts for change in their own bioregions. You know, what is the secret sauce, the secret ingredients that creates those Donna Mortons and all the people that show up and collaborate with her, you know? So the idealist in me says, like, well, if there's already people that are this passionate, that know how important this is, uh, why do we need to wait till we're in that dire strait on the, the verge of losing everything to actually go there when there are people that that seem to get there much earlier? So the the dreamer in me is is, is still asking that question of, like, okay, well, what's the piece that I'm missing um, that helps people get there before it's, before we're right on the cusp. And I, and I do have some faith and some belief in that. Cause you know, mm. we do see some, as much as I'm I'm kind of, um, talking through a little bit of a, a negative lens, you know, talking about disaster and and things like that. Uh, I, we see so many amazing shifts happen all the time on a local level and even on a global level. Uh, and that does give me a ton of faith in, in possibility and opportunity. Uh, and that the, the, a uh, realist in me might actually be wrong this time about reality.
0: Hmm. <laughs> this is a curious inquiry. I love this conversation with you, Chris. I think it's very important to, uh, you know, let our dreamer and our realist metaphorically here uh, out of the closet and let them both meet the world because we need both. We need the dreamer, the idealist, the the, the soul, the the inner child that does not stop believing and have faith. And I do think it's important to ground our dreams into reality and just see where do they apply today? Is that possible today? And if not, maybe maybe I'll pause it and pick this up in a month from now again.
1: Yeah, you know, I often think of that as like walking this razor's edge between two worlds. And I, I very much think about it in my own life. You know, I think like most of the world, I've done a lot of really deep reflecting over the last kind of five months. Mm. Uh, you know, my my work has shifted a lot. Uh, It's actually allowed me to be at home way more than I ever have. I mean, in the past, I've been on the road teaching all the time and doing talks and stuff, uh, and it's really allowed me to spend a lot of time just just sitting and reflecting and really tuning into the the baseline of nature um, and and contemplating this idea of uh, this razor's edge and kind of walking in two worlds. And it's kind of funny, you know, because every day I think about these aspects of life and business in, in this world that I don't really believe in on a lot of levels, but it's also the reality of what we have right now. And then there's this other part of me that's a bit of a dreamer around like, you know, this deep connection to nature and the sustainable permaculture inspired world. Um, and, and I feel like it's actually a really beautiful thing to be able to be very functional and effective and try to drive change in the world as it is right now and, and developing the skill sets of that while simultaneously developing the, the skill sets of, of that dreamer, which was kind of comes back to that point when I made those four points is like, you know, how are we cultivating our minds and our, our emotions and our skills so that we actually can live in the change that we're trying to create. Um, So that when the opportunity comes, we don't actually cling back onto the old normal. Um, So I'd I'd call that walking the razor's edge. And I actually think it's a beautiful art. It can be challenging and stressful sometimes, uh, but it's also a really beautiful journey to kind of live both those dreams at the same time or the idealist, the realist and the dreamer all all together. And, you know, that that's a really practical skill set for the modern world as well.
0: I think it's a very, you know, very practical set for the modern world, because in the, in the past times, like the, the paradigm that's imploding and dying right now that we've witnessed, you know, it's kind of been the very hyper masculine quality of that patriarchal approach of, you know, just, just all the way into the realist, shut down everything that isn't the realist, stifle Mm -hmm. the emotions, make others feel small if they don't get it as fast. Right. And then from there, basically exploit, extract from earth and those around you through the monetary systems. And, you know, this is more an observation because that's it, like literally what happened then, then a judgment of what happened. I think the evolution now is what you're saying is, is including the, the you know, threefold that we could make many different metaphors of the idealist, the, the dreamer and the realist, right? So, so that there is, there is just, the, the multidimensionality to life that is very real, we can observe. And, you know, I would love to bridge this back to nature in the beginning of our conversation. I, I deeply believe that we are nature as nature, right? And so there's no external nature in that sense. But if we look into the natural kingdom and world around us, nature can be pretty rough. I mean, you mentioned this earlier, it can challenge us. It, it, you know, the, the life and death cycle is very present in many ways. But nature is very rarely ruthless like a greedy human uh, with the steroids of capitalism, you know? And so I think this is part of our big evolution here. Where where does that land for you, me sharing that?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I no, that's, agree. That's, that's I think that that's what we me. talked about, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. And you know, there are, I will just share too, you know, that there are, I don't think ruthless in the context that you're putting it, you know, in this kind of capitalist, greedy, um, out-of-spite kind of way that we see in the modern world, but there are parts of nature that seem almost almost ruthless, you know, and really brutal. Um, well, brutal and, and,
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm there with you.
1: And and there there is a real power in in us actually having a relationship with that. You know, this comes back to our, our conversation with fear you know? Um, so if we can develop the skill sets to actually be out there and witness it in nature it, for something, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of leave it there that, yeah, you know, yeah. nature, nature models, uh, amazing resiliency. And it also shows us really tough things and it allows us to take that all in as just what nature is, you know, the nature of being, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's, that's just one of the beautiful gifts that it has there, you know? Um, and I feel like, you know, if you're, if you're not connected to that struggle in nature, You can actually have a very idealistic version of nature which actually makes you extra hard on yourself about the the modern context and modern problems
0: 100 yes
1: yeah and for me kind of witnessing adversity and stuff in nature has actually helped me wrap my mind around when i see travesty in our modern world uh, and actually has given me the ability to process in a more holistic way that allows me to continue to walk in both worlds and i feel like you know i want to be careful saying this because it's a little bit of a judgment here But I want to say in some of the folks I've worked with in the nature connection work, people that are very, you know, have very, very little nature time, their dreamy ideal of what nature is and what a life living off the land is or even going and being a farmer is actually potentially problematic uh, Mm -hmm. and really Mm -hmm. holding them back in, in their life, you know, because it's almost like they've got it's like the grass is greener on the other side syndrome, right? Um, and now they're judging everything against that. Whereas if you, you come over to the other side and you're like, oh, wow, even in nature, the grass isn't always green, you know, sometimes it's actually really hungry and really thirsty, and it hurts. Um, it allows you to, you know, be a little bit more realistic with the situation you find yourself in, um, and, and find carve out some balance in there.
0: Mm, well put, Chris. I, I'm glad that our conversation is going here at the end of our episode, because I think this is this grass on the other side is greener. Is still a dissonant approach, right? Resonance means we're okay to resonate with all of the spectrums of both our human past and history, as well as with our natural world, and then we're resonating forward into the next uh, paradigm, into this regenerative, uh, you know, decade that we have ahead of ours our, ourselves. And you know, I, I agree. Nature is not necessarily ruthless, but brutal. Like, I'm not a farmer, but I, you know, I've worked on farms before for the Um, shits and giggles of it and and i was glad i could i could just leave it again after two three days because it's hard work right and here where i live in british columbia i you know have a lot of nature entertainment around me and yes it's beautiful to watch a hummingbird and everything is fairy-like about a hummingbird but then when you watch a bald-headed eagle catch a salmon or um, anything else that is truly ferocious now the difference though and and that's kind of what i felt is in our interbeing here today chris is that w- humankind has taken this ferociousness into a systematic approach of killing and exploiting through the the meat industry through the way we treated the soil through the way we treated the water systems and so only if we reconcile that acknowledge that understand that and come to to terms with that in order to to actually move forward and step forward. Only then I believe we actually can move forward and change it.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And you know, that that very much, what you stated this, just there, that reconciliation is very much why I, I kind of built a, a changing world and that the services and stuff that we have, the, the way that we did, you know, trying to kind of balance those, those two realms together.
0: Mm, beautiful. Well, let me ask you one, one last question in, in this context, addressing the dreamer in your soul. And the, the context of the question is a seven-generational way of thinking. So maybe let's zoom out on the timeline a bit. And, and you know, Chris, for you, in your soul, what is, the, what is the dream for this planet? What is the vision for Earth and humanity that, that you hold?
1: Mm. <laughs> lovely, lovely question. Yeah, the dreamer in me uh, loves in sovereign bioregional, Uh, that lives in right relation both with their land and internally but then with right relation with their neighbors Uh, and you know I could I could expand on what the details of that look like but it's 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 I think it's all in those comments as well small groups of sovereign bioregional groups living in right relation with the land and each other and right relation with their neighbors
0: that's a very clear vision wow Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your insights, your perspectives, really pragmatic uh, takeaways for everyone listening, a lot of insights here in this episode. Is there anything else you'd love to share, anything you wanna make sure I link out in the show notes for people to find?
1: Yeah, well, I'd love to just, you know, throw it out to folks. If you're interested in in learning a little bit more about um, these different realms that I'm talking about, there's two things kind of offerings that I put out through the internet. One is this course we have called Nature's Forgotten Language. Um, and the essence of the course is helping people le- relearn to read this forgotten story in the natural world. You know, to realize that when a bird makes a call, it's not just a robin. And a robin call, that bird's actually talking about something. It's talking about the weather changing, it's talking about that eagle, um, it's talking about the person walking down the street. Um, and the same goes, you know, with fish and with wildlife. So it's all about, like, kind of reclaiming our ability to read that story so that it informs our, our modern world. So if people are interested in that, like, you know, deepening that relationship with the land, check out nature's forgotten language.com. And then the other one, if people are thinking about that other piece I put out there about like, you know, how are we not finding ourselves scrambling when adversity hits? Um, How do we think ahead a little bit and be prepared so that we're actually able to seize opportunities? You might want to check out the other training we have, which is more from the emergency preparedness side, which is survive the storms. So if you go to survivethestorms.com, it's very much like a modern emergency preparedness program that helps you get ready fast you know if you find yourself in an earthquake if you find yourself uh the whole world's locking down because of a pandemic um, a major hurricane comes through you know what do you put in place ahead of time that allows you to now be able to take care of your family and yourself uh, which then again allows you to be able to actually seize opportunity for change in a good way because you haven't ignored um the the test coming until the night before i'll say
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. I'll make sure to link those out. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. Thank you for being on this episode with me today.
1: Awesome, Julian. It was a pleasure. And thanks for this podcast. I've just been kind of getting into it over the last month, but I've been I've been loving some of the episodes and I think you've got a lifelong listener here. So
0: Awesome. I'm excited to hear that.
1: All right. Cheers, bud.
0: Thanks for listening. And here we are again. This is your host, Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships, and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I am a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships, and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one, in small coaching groups online, or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more how to support the show or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com slash mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend.